I mean, come on. Now, nobody wants to get into that. But who is your favorite Bob? Is it Bob Ross? Pretty little trees. Mine might be Bob Vila. This old house. Cuban immigrant starts into the construction world. 1979, he starts the famous show after being awarded the Better Homes and Gardens Master Builder Restorator of the Year. And so he starts this old house. The funny thing about this old house and Bob Vila is, let's be honest, it was Norm who really made this old house work. Norm didn't have the personality that Bob Vila did, and so then Norm couldn't be the host of the show. Then there was this big fallout in 1989 over what they were doing, product placement and all these things. So then in 1990, he starts home again. Bob Vila, some of you are like, who is Bob Vila? Did you never? I mean, after Saturday morning cartoons, there was nothing on TV. Home Again, Restorations. My favorite Bob Vila moment was when he appeared in Hot Shots Part Dua. Hello. What about Bob the Builder? Okay, some of us are like that. We didn't know who Bob Vila was, but we definitely know who Bob the Builder is. Wendy, Scoop, and the gang. Can we fix it? Yeah, see, we could do some like responsive readings around pop culture. If we do a responsive reading in the regards to the text, not so much. Maybe your favorite Bob is Bob's Red Mill Flour because he's all gluten-free. That's for Lee. Probably my favorite Bob Wiley fictional character of all Bobs that exist. Bob Wiley taking baby steps. You might feel like we're taking baby steps this morning as we are in Hebrews chapter 3 talking about Bob's and Jesus. We start Hebrews 3 with verse 1 and the word therefore and we say... See, we're catching on. We clapped. We're responding. We're going to maybe get an amen in a little bit. So we get there. We thank you. So therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope." Confession, I went to the eye doctor because uh, reading that gets a little more challenging. (laughs) Oh, this side of 40. So we get this therefore, and and we ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, as John has been going through the first two chapters of Hebrews, the writer has been talking about who Jesus is in a cosmic way and in a salvific way, and we're going to continue to unpack who Jesus is. But as a result of who Jesus is, we are going to get what we do in Hebrews. We get some explanation of previous text, and then we get a little bit of instruction on how to live out in light of that. 
for those of you who like big theological words, exposition and exhortation. So we start this new section that's going to go um, through most of chapter 4 with this therefore. The writer says, Holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. You who share in a heavenly calling. Do you have a favorite call? So uh, this last week I was in the Boundary Waters, maybe my favorite, becoming my favorite place in Minnesota other than the Brainerd Lakes area, except in the summertime when all the people are here. Did I just say that out loud? I'm sorry. Welcome home. (laughs) One of my favorite things about being in the Boundary Waters is laying in the tent and listening to all of the things that are calling out in the wilderness. All the different birds and, and, and all the different animals. There was uh, something that was existing in this tree on Friday morning that was making a noise. And we're like, what is this thing? I have no idea. But it was making a noise that certainly was audible enough to hear. When you are in the world, you often can't hear those things because the world is too loud. What is your favorite call to make. If you're in a crowd and you're looking for a friend, what is your call? One of the great scenes in Three Amigos when Steve Martin is on the wall trying to get his friends to look up at him. Hello, 1986, when they used to make great, hilarious movies. Look up here, look up here, look up here. What's your favorite call? Are you a caca caw God has placed a call on our lives. You who share in a heavenly calling, what does this mean? What are we to do when we are called? Oftentimes we we have taken this language and we have made it far more complex. Tim Gombas had a recent podcast about this idea of Christian calling and his whole concept is we are all called to a life in Jesus Christ, period, hard stop. So when we think about what is our calling in life, our calling in life is to come to Jesus Christ, to be present with him, to be in relationship with him, and to live out a Christ-formed life, period, full stop. That's it. This heavenly calling not only comes from God in heaven and directs us back towards God, but it is about how we live today. And we are all called by God to be in relationship with Christ. You ever get a surprising phone call? I called a guy this week, and he's like, Eric, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm just so surprised you called. (laughs) Sometimes I think when God calls us to him in that way, we're like, wait, God, is that you? (laughs) Yes, that is me. I'm calling you to myself. Our calling is to follow Jesus Christ and to live a life that is shaped and formed by Christ. Michael Gorman, in his book, Cruciformity, talks a lot about this idea of what does it mean to be formed in the shape of the cross? 
Because that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus. And so this calling is to come into relationship with the God of the universe through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and to participate as little Jesuses running around the world sharing in that same lifestyle. And Gorman talks about it's not about power and prestige and all of these things. It is about being shaped in the form of the cross. So we are called by God to live a life in the shape of the cross. Period. Full stop. Everything after that is subservient to that calling that God has placed in our lives. Just like last week when John had the boxes. Everything else falls into place when we are responding to the call that God has placed on our lives. And it's interesting because the writer says, holy brothers and sisters. And, and oftentimes when we look at that, we think holy as in holier than thou or as perfect. And that is not at all what it means. And, and as we talked about at the beginning of Hebrews, there's all of this Old Testament imagery that, that exists throughout the book of Hebrews. This idea of being holy is to be set apart. To be set apart, to be distinct from the world. And so here, the writer is saying, those of you who are set apart, who have been called by God. So is it that we're called by God first and then set apart? Well, we can talk through some of the details of that later. But what we have to realize is when we respond to the call of Jesus Christ, this heavenly calling, considering who Christ is, we are then set apart from everything else that exists in the world. Now I know some people have taken this to the extreme, and we have the Desert Fathers, and, and we have cloisters, and we have radical reformers, and we have people that just live out and, and say, I'm going to take this to the extreme, and I'm going to just isolate myself. I've had this conversation with a few friends. How long could I live in the Boundary Waters by myself? <laughs> that would be set apart. <laughs> It's unique, it's distinct, it is not perfect. So when somebody looks at a person who has responded to the call of Jesus Christ, they say, wow, that is somebody who is different. That is somebody who is unique. That is somebody who is set apart. They have decided to, to not engage in certain things that the world says are acceptable. And the writer is saying, because of who Jesus Christ is, those of us who have responded to this call of Jesus Christ, this invitation to, to be in relationship with him, who are set apart from the world, we have to consider Jesus. And we get this description, the apostle and high priest of our confession it's interesting, we've never oftentimes referred to Jesus as an apostle. <laughs> like, he had apostles. What's well, this idea that, that he is a representative of God here on this earth? 
And we're going to continue to talk about why is Jesus the high priest? I certainly don't want to step on the touchdown call of later verses. But let's take a deeper look into how Jesus lived out his life. Who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. We get this interesting reference back to Numbers and how God chose Moses as a representative for him in the nation of Israel. And so we get this interesting comparison of Jesus and Moses. Now, we love to do this, right? <laughs> I mean, Scotty Pippen this week, he, he tweets out about how great LeBron is just to take a shot at Michael, and it's like, come on, Scotty. Like, we know everyone is compared to Michael. That's why he is Michael Jordan. That's not the comparison we get here. There is no comparison between Jesus and Moses. But as the writer of Hebrews is writing to a very Jewish audience, the Jewish person would say, yes, Moses is like the top. He's the best. But we see these allusions throughout the Old Testament to the one that will be coming later who will be over God's house. See 1 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So Frank Lloyd Wright bursts on the scene, right? Straight out of southwestern Scotty land. If they would have drawn the lines differently, we could say that Frank Lloyd Wright was one of us. He's not one of us. He's from Wisconsin. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, American architects of all time, draws up these incredible structures, over a thousand different Frank Lloyd Wright structures that exist, certainly changes how we view architecture and buildings and how they work with the land. Nobody ever looks at a Frank Lloyd Wright house and says, wow, that house is more impressive than Frank Lloyd Wright. That's just not how it works. And it's, it's what the writer of Hebrews says. Jesus has been counted more has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And we get this interesting Trinitarian theology here because it seems in this verse that we get this allusion to who Jesus is and in his divinity. For every house is built by someone, verse 4, but the builder of all things is God. And the writer wants to let us know that, that Jesus and God are the same. And if you've missed Wednesday nights, you've missed Wednesday nights. We have one week left. You can certainly uh, catch them online if you'd like to catch up with them. But it's this idea that, that God is the maker of all things, and Jesus is being equated by the writer of Hebrews with God because Jesus is God. God is the builder of all things, and God has been building his people through Moses and obviously through Jesus. And we get this imagery of building a house. Now, if you want to talk about the cost of constructing a house, we have no idea today. <laughs> the cost of the Jesus house is far more significant 
Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Because it's easy to say that, that the writer of Hebrews is somehow degrading who Moses is. That's not what's happening. He's saying Moses had a place and his place. He fulfilled that faithfully. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. This implying heir to inheriting the house that is being constructed. Now, we're not talking about like an audio adrenaline big house. We're not talking about like the maze and blue big house. We're not talking about the big house that has the wonderful barred doors. We're talking about a big house that is us. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. One of my favorite kids' toys that my kids had was Lincoln Logs. Lincoln Logs came about in 1916 by none other than John Lloyd Wright, the son of Frank Lloyd Wright. And what was the beauty of the Lincoln Log? Was you could make anything you wanted. There were really no instructions. And you could shape them and and make them into anything, and they were simple, unlike the complexity of Legos. Maddie just bought this new Lego set, and I'm like, what has happened to our world? (laughs) Things were so much simpler. We are his house. It's interesting. Who is the we? The we are those who have responded to the heavenly calling as set-apart brothers and sisters in Christ. And, And we've been thinking about this and talking about this And I've been thinking about it more and more over the past few months. How do we understand what church is? When the writer of Hebrews says, we are his house, so we are God's house, what does that that mean? Well, first of all, it means that we have been selected, this heavenly calling, we... We have responded to the call of Christ on our lives to come and to be present and to engage and to experience what it means to have life in the Spirit. But in order for a house to be constructed, there has to be multiple parts. And so we look at what does it mean to be a part of the church? And how do we understand our place in the church? And I've said this many times before, but as I, again, as I get older, I just keep saying the same things over and over. When I first started, I said, oh, i got to run up to church. And John said, well, what do you mean? i got to go get something from the building. He's like, yeah, that's not the church, that's the building. <laughs> okay, duly noted. Gotcha. But it's so true! We, those of us who have responded to the call of Jesus Christ, are the church. We gather in this building that that we have labeled Timberwood Church, but the church that is being spoken of in Hebrews is the global house of God. 
And we are simply a part of that. And so what does it mean for me to play a role in the house of God? Because this, this isn't a competition. This isn't who has the best house. God's church is not a subdivision where we get all of the same houses and you say, oh, that house looks nice because it's the exact same as that house and the exact same as that house and the exact same as that house. No judgment on subdivision living. The church of Christ is one giant house. That's the image that we're getting from the writer of Hebrews. And so it's not that we stand alone as a separate house. We are all part of the same structure. This holy gathering of heavenly called individuals. I mean, think about, think about how incredible that is. We look around this room, and there are people that, that gather together that really would rather not say ten sentences to one another. And yet we all come together in this miracle, mystical way around the throne of Christ because we have been called in our immense brokenness. <laughs> we are more bent than a two-by-four at Menard's. And yet somehow God takes us and puts us into this magical house and we are just a section of that house. And there are other sections of this house that exist in the Brainerd Lakes area and it's not like we have the best house. We are a part of the house. And people that go to Lutheran Church of the Cross who are followers of Jesus Christ, they're in our house. And people that go to other churches, we're all a part of the same house. And it's amazing We are his house because we have responded. And, and people all over the world, we're all a part of the same house. We don't have a corner on the market. And the best part is we don't even get to make the choice. This is not a design build where we get to have input. We are to called to live cruciform lives and say, God, put me where you want me. I want to respond to the call that you have placed on my life to follow after you, to be different, and to fit into your house wherever you need me. And that's hard. <laughs> that's really hard. I mean, I'm pretty sure the light in my bathroom would rather be a light in my kitchen. I mean, come on, right? But that light doesn't have a choice. In the same way, God has called us to himself to be built into this miraculous structure that is God's house. And we, when we respond to the call that he has placed on our lives, fit into that. 
a group of people set apart from the world who have been invited by God to be constructed into something for His honor and glory in this age and the age to come. The question is, who is supervising the project of my life? Who am I going to to be the supervising superintendent on the job that is my life to respond to this building project that is faith in Jesus Christ? And the writer says, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope, if we keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus Christ, that is the call. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning thanking you for the call that you have placed on each one of our lives. The call to respond to your offer of salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ, who we have seen is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. And as we respond to the call, the invitation that you have placed on our lives to be in relationship with you, set apart. Holy Spirit, we pray, we ask, we beg that as you are building your church, your house, that we would respond in a way that is bringing honor and glory to you. Not our will, but your will being done in our lives as we seek to be shaped and formed wherever you need us. In Jesus' name, amen.